I'm up in the air Beside the lines of this paint by number love affair Hold your breath now, baby, it's a long way down Hold my hand until we lightly touch the ground Love me with reckless abandon like you want me to Free falling from the sky like lovers often do Love me with reckless abandon like you want me to Free falling from the sky like lovers often try to do Lovers often do I'm here on the ground My head in the clouds as I watch people drift by You can keep your parachutes We've got wings to fly in time Just love me with reckless abandon Like you want me to We're free falling from the sky Like lovers often do Love me with reckless abandon Like you want me to Free falling from the sky like lovers often try to do. How lovers often do. I'm up in the air. The time goes fast and then the time goes slow. Who knows where the wind will blow I wish I knew But I don't know Just love me with reckless abandon Like you want me to I'm free falling from the sky Like lovers often do Love me with reckless abandon Like you want me to Free falling from the sky like lovers often try to do. How lovers often do. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Well, welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial C, Walker. Yes, that's right. It's me, and we have been listening to the song Up in the Air by Tim Kirkner. And Tim Kirkner is, I, I like to call him a good friend of mine, although we don't get to see each other much, maybe once a year or so, <laughs> unless we can get to more shows than that. But lately in the pandemic, of course, we're not seeing a whole lot of people. But that's, that's true. It is true. And he's on the line with me right now. How are you doing, Tim? I'm great, Todd, and uh, I consider you a good friend as well. Very, very good. And yeah. I'm looking at a photo on the Our Community Cup Coffee House site 
and it's a photo from the Brewer's Alley Monday Night Songwriter Series that uh, we both were involved with for many, many, many years. And you, I have to admit, you are one of my favorite photo subjects. <laughs> well, well th- thanks. I mean, I think any, every photo that's out there, I think you've taken. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably because I just, you know, there's some, you and Tommy Wright are probably the two, Tommy 1M Wright, who's also a good uh-huh. friend of ours, are probably my two favorite subjects because I can't seem to catch you at a bad angle. <laughs> well, I, I wish I felt the same way. But I, 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 I appreciate that. <laughs> and just like many of us, I've watched your hair slowly gray. <laughs> you know, I, and the uh, at least you still have a full head of it. That's wonderful. Well, there's apparently a, a, a bald spot that, that starts to grow in the in the middle that you don't see at first. That other people can say to you like, "Hey." Um, there's some thinning in the back. <laughs> well, you know, that's very interesting because you do have a song that is titled The Middle. That's true. <clears throat> and on your 2014 CD, which is titled So On and So Forth, um, there are two songs where you mentioned The Middle. Now, was that something intentional? Were you kind of getting a vibe somewhere in the universe about being stuck in the middle or being in the middle or people should get closer to the middle or is that purely just coincidence it's, it's actually about getting away from the middle okay um, because um that song which I, I introduce it when i when i play it live is um is related to the book player piano by kurt vonnegut and um one of his uh, quotes that i had on my door after he passed away was um about from from that book uh, about not being able to see much from the middle uh, and you should live life as close to the edge as possible, of course, without falling off. And so that's where that that whole thing came from. You know, I did remember that you are a big Kurt Vonnegut fan. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and that's I mean, it was inadvertent because I had posted a bunch of quotes on my office door um, after he passed away. And when I was taking the quotes off the door after they'd been up there for a few months, I, I that quote caught my eye. And I said, I have to use that in a song someplace. And that's how the mill came about. Now, when you say off your office door, tell people which office door and what, how that relates to you in your life. Well, I, I've been a counselor professor at Montgomery College in Rockville, Maryland for, oh, 28 years now, I guess. And so um, I tried to post things on my office door when, when we were on campus uh, for students to see that kind of sparked me um, you know, to have them something to read while they were waiting to see me. Well, you know, in the going back to the song Up in the Air, and the reason I want mm-hmm. to get back to that right at the moment before I forget, because I'm 70 years old, almost 71, and <laughs> things just seem to disappear sometimes when I least expect it. But the reason I opened with that song, and I like all the songs on your CD, and I think it um, it's probably, no, no, it isn't probably, it is a much better CD and reflection of your songs than probably the popularity of it. Hmm. And one of the lines in that Up in the Air song that I like is, you can keep your parachutes, we've got wings to fly, there's a pause, and then mm-hmm. you say or sing, end time. Mm-hmm. Great line. Thanks. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, I haven't heard that song in a while, so when you were playing it, I was here running over the lyrics in my head and... Uh, takes me back to it to the time when I wrote it and the emotions that you feel during those things. So, um, and yeah, when, and when I hear that pause, I mean, that's the dramatic pause, I think that I wanted to get out of it. And, uh, it, uh, 
it, it seems to work as, as, as well in 2021 as it did when I wrote it. Now, something like a dramatic pause when you're singing, is that something that you, as you're rehearsing it, you know, singing it at home and so forth before you go into the studio, it just kind of happens? Or do you think, oh gosh, okay, and literary and music, you know, a pause, white space, that's a good thing? Or is it purely organic? I, I think what happens is when, when, when I first start playing songs like that, they just, they come out and then the dramatic pause comes later on when you're thinking like, I, I want it. I want to let the song have some space. I want it to breathe. I want people to um, feel the emotion that I feel. I, I I try and everything that I when I when I play out, I try to put the emotion into it because I so many songs that you hear are like uh, somebody can be a great singer, but they don't have any emotion in the song. It doesn't connect with me. So anything I can do to help it connect, um, that's how I feel. I mean, it's it's for me that kind of it starts with me and it, it kind of expands from there out to the audience, I, I would hope. Now, your your music didn't start with just you. It started from, I, I would assume, from your family. How did you mm-hmm. get, how did music get into your life? I, you know, I, I like to think of the eclectic background that my mother and father on Sunday afternoons while making a pot roast for dinner would put on things like, John Gary and Johnny Mathis and and um, my mother was a big Eddie Arnold fan and and I got into music that way um, and then I think the biggest piece that happened I have older brothers and sisters who were mostly into 70s soft rock sort of things uh, the Carpenters Jim Croce um, uh, some early Elton John things. Um, Mac Davis, ah, you know? yeah, and, uh, and, and I, and, uh, oh, Dan Fogelberg, you know, those things. And, and I was not, um, I was more of into the rock and roll. And then I think that when, uh, Elvis Costello came on to, uh, Saturday night live at uh, one point in, in its younger years, in my younger years, it opened my eyes to the fact that there was lots of other things out there that I wasn't being exposed to. So, I didn't made it my life's work to be exposed to music and, and carry on that eclectic sort of uh, thing. So I go anywhere on my Spotify account to uh, 40s um, tunes from the world, from the war and uh, all the way up through, um, you know, uh, Childish Gambino and uh, lots of the other things that are out there now. Now, did you start on guitar? Did you start on piano? How, how did you get to guitar? Let's put it that way. Well, like everybody who's, um, you know, 12 years old, you want to be in a rock and roll band. And so uh, my neighbor and I decided we wanted to to be in a rock and roll band. And so we started taking guitar lessons at a local music store. Um, and um, that's how it began. And, and I went in with a cheap acoustic guitar. And I'm, I'm originally, I'm left-handed. And um, if you notice, I play guitar right-handed. It's the only thing that I do right-handed. And, and the way that came about was my guitar teacher took my guitar and reshrung it in the, probably the first month that I was taking guitar lessons and said, um, I know you want to become a, a rock and roll guitarist. And if you want to do that, then you have to get an electric guitar and electric guitars come right handed and they cost money to have them converted to left handed. And I know that, you know, your parents can't afford to do that. So 
we're going to just string your guitar right-handed and let's see how that works. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I took it home the first week and I didn't play it because I said to her that she strung it wrong. And then um, she said, just give it a try. And so I started to, uh, to do that because my vision was that I wanted to be a great rock and roll guitarist. So I had to, I had to suck it up and do that. Now, because of that, did it take you longer to learn than say the average person? I, I, I don't know. I was, a, I was a kid. All I knew was that, you know, the stars in my eyes were that I wanted to, uh, to be in a band and, uh, and play some rock and roll. And uh, that's, I just persisted and, and did what she told me to do. <laughs> it's very interesting. Most yeah. of the people who, well, we know, I mean, you know, Paul McCartney, good example, mm -hmm. is left-handed, but for years he played a right-handed guitar upside down. Yep. And now he has them made, you know, for him. So it must have been difficult for him to reconfigure everything. I'm, mm. I've recently put a K&K pickup into a left-handed performer's guitar, mm -hmm. and I tried doing my fingerings left-handed, and it was just so awkward because I needed to see what it was going to sound like. So what I did is I, I play it right-handed doing everything upside down. <laughs> and it took me a good half an hour before I could do two or three chords in a row on a guitar that was upside down. Yeah. I, I, I can't even imagine going, going back and trying to play a guitar left-handed. I mean, I, I think it probably stunted me some in that, you know, I, I, I never really learned how to finger pick well. I never learned how to lead very well. Um, and I kind of then just, I relied more on my, my voice to um, add the instrumentation to my guitar playing because I was really just a, a rhythm guitarist. My next door neighbor who I played with, he became much better at lead guitar. And so, you know, I, I let him do that. And, um, and I, I took the, I knew I was a better singer than he was. So I, I used that as my, as my way to go. Well, most of the bands who are famous their lead singer is either just a singer or he plays rhythm guitar and sings. Mm -hmm. Once in a while, it's a piano player. You don't see too many upfront leaders of a band, the ones we, we focus on, mm -hmm. who play lead guitar and sing. They may play some lead guitar, but they're predominantly, while they're singing, playing rhythm. So you're right there. You, you would have, you know. So what happened? Why didn't you become a rock star? Um, well, I, I guess that the, the, the kids that I was playing with when they were teenagers went an opposite direction than I did. Um, <clears throat> they got deeper into the, um, the culture of the day, let's say. Mm -hmm. And I was just not in tune to that so much and, uh, kind of did my own thing. And, didn't really find other people to play with. I didn't really seek them out either. Um, just because I was having enough time, struggle getting out of high school and, um, that became the focus. So I played some, uh, and, and kind of went a different way with it and, and really didn't join a band until I was an adult. Now, when you say struggling to get out of high school, is that one of the reasons you went into being a counselor? <laughs> no, what really happened was, uh, it's, it's interesting. I knew I was a people person and I knew that, uh, regular education was not my thing. I spent four years in a, in a Catholic school and elementary school. And that was the worst thing for somebody who has a, 
a creative mind and, and likes to, to live near the edge, not near the middle. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, um, and then I went to public school and, uh, and it, it just wasn't, it was so large and it was easy to get lost. And I was more social than I was academic at the time. And, and, and it's one of those things. I went to a community college, um, ended up in, uh, cause I knew that I couldn't flip burgers my whole life or I didn't want to flip burgers my whole life. Um, went to a community college and went into a class an, an English class and had a professor who actually listened to what I was saying in the class. It was the first time somebody really gave me a, um, the time of day when it came to my own creativity and my own ideas. And I said, Hey, I can probably do this college thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then when I, um, and then when I graduated from community college, <clears throat> um, I, I, through a, a series of events, um, and happenstance sorts of things. I ended up uh, teaching special education um, at a place where I didn't need to be accredited. And that got me thinking about um, community college again and how I really enjoyed my experience and how a lot of 17, 18 year olds are kind of lost at what they want to do and and feel like they don't belong. And so I was like, well, I want to, I'd like to work in a community college and do that. And so I made that my focus. Now, when you were in that English class, and mm-hmm. you said the, the instructor or the teacher, however you want to uh, label them, mm-hmm. um, actually listened to you. Was it mm-hmm. also that you began to write at that time, or had you always written? Um, I had always had thoughts in my head. Let's say that. I had always written things down on like a piece of paper. I might toss them away. There were, I still have some notebooks from geez, that time period that have lyrics in them that I have never touched, but um, they never really formed into much of anything. Um, throwaway songs, maybe, I guess you'd call them. Mm-hmm. But, they, but they were probably the beginnings of, of my, um, my love of the word and words and how they went together. Um, because that exposed me to poetry that I wasn't exposed to. That exposed me to T.S. Eliot. That exposed me to... Um, Ogden Nash and things that that really <clears throat> just kind of got me thinking about wordplay. And at about the same time, um, my vision of the world was changing. It was the, you know, the the 80s. It was the the, the Cold War and uh, nuclear power. And I I just had a, you know, I would keep my eyes open and see things, and uh, they would just stick in my head. And that I think was the basis of where my observational skills were honed for later in life when I started to write songs about it. Cause I can go through songs from that CD and just pick little pieces of them out and, Oh, this happened there and this happened there. And then they come together as a song. Now you grew up in the Philadelphia area, I think, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, when did you move to the Maryland area? Um, after my two years in community college, I moved here and went to school at, what is now McDaniel College it mm-hmm. was called Western Maryland College back then, and I went there and I, and I majored in psychology, um, and then and then went home for, went back to Narstown, Pennsylvania for about six months after graduation before I came back here. Now, did you come back to this area because you liked it here, or a job opened up? Uh, I came back for um, a girlfriend. Uh huh. I knew there was going to be a girl in there somewhere (laughs) (laughs) who who later, who later became my wife. It was now my ex-wife. So, um, but yeah, we, we, um, 
she was here, I was here. And this is where, I mean, I, I didn't really have any roots anymore in Pennsylvania, like anything else. You, you leave high school and you end up losing all those connections, which of course now have come back because of Facebook and Instagram and things like that. But, but back in, back then you didn't have that. Well, for one, I am happy that you came to this part of the country because I would I mean, not have met you otherwise and uh, been able to listen to you all these years and uh, have you, you know, join me in some of the sh showcase series. And also uh, we are studio mates, sort of, that we, yeah. bo we both record with Jeff Fight at Torchlight Recording Studios. So tell me, what was the experience like in recording your CD? <laughs> well... <laughs> It, it, it was um, it was much longer and than I expected it to be. Um, I didn't know what to expect really, but when you get into a studio and you have to do things kind of not the way you're used to doing things, mm -hmm. um, recording guitar parts first and then recording the vocals later, um, it was um, the experience was great. I mean, Jeff was, is fantastic and really shepherded me through the entire process but for me it, it it didn't feel as natural as you know getting up on stage and playing is it's hard to get that groove going um when you're playing on stage and you're and you're and you're live you kind of get into a rhythm and you get your energy from the audience and in the studio i'm just playing a guitar part with nothing else going on and just trying not to make too many noises on the side to to mess up the recording <laughs> Now, I find it difficult to play the guitar without singing. Well, oh, my gosh, well, yeah. Yeah, what I mean is I play it differently because the vocal and the guitar go together. So mm -hmm. I also find it somewhat difficult to sing listening back to my guitar track because, again, they, they're not quite the same. Do you find the same? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was told to be quiet a number of times because I was singing it a little bit too loud to keep up with the guitar in the recording studio. And then, yes, when I was recording the vocals, there's some vocals. I can listen to, to the CD now and say, like, yeah, I, I messed that vocal up. And, you know, I, I came in too soon or I came in too late. And it might just be like a split second. And listeners wouldn't know that. But I hear it and I'm like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> if, if I had one more take. So are you difficult on yourself? Um, yeah, I think, I, I think absolutely. <laughs> it's, um, I, I wanted, what I really wish I would have done and, and taken more time to do was to get more instrumentation on my CD. Mm -hmm. um, and I toy with the idea of going back and doing it that way um, because I think it would add so much to it. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm hard on myself with that. And sometimes I just need to put things down and not, and, and not deal with them. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, um, it's really hard to listen in the studio. The number of times you have to listen to yourself over and over and over again is, um, was a little rough. <laughs> No, I totally understand. Yeah, yeah. just because, I mean, you want to, um, what you have in your head of how you sound and how you sound mm -hmm. can be two different things. And um, you have to reconcile that and, and, and so at some point, just be okay with it. <laughs> well, you know, I remember reading an article on Gordon Lightfoot at one point in time, and I've heard mm -hmm. him speak in interviews. My favorite one was... Uh, 
the radio show was called The Q. It's out of Toronto. Mm-hmm. And it was the previous host um, who interviewed him. But uh, I'm fascinated by his kind of pragmatic approach to music in that it, uh, you know, he wrote the songs because he had to feed the family, basically. Yeah. But he also was very, very creative. And I've lost the train of thought that I was going to make about <laughs> him. That's part of getting older. And I'll probably come back to it. But the, um, how long did it take from the time you went in the first time to Jeff's studio before you had the final well, not so much the final mix, but until you recorded the last bit. Was it weeks, months, days? It was probably a little less than a year. Mm-hmm. Um, because um, some of the... I, I, kept on, I kept on wondering what to put on the CD. I kept on recording things and changing things and going back and having to remix and master them, you know... Uh, over over that time period um because it was unlike unlike the songs that came out of me this was much more work um and focused on that and um it just took it just took a little while to do plus it, it can be a little costly um to be in the studio and and not hit your marks i mean it's uh it's not it, it's not terribly expensive but it was you know some money on top of a full-time job to have to go in there in the evenings and spend two three four five hours Mm -hmm. doing doing this um and you really have to be mentally prepared for it when you go in and you have to be prepared to uh practiced so you can so you can get it done in the fewest takes possible because that can wear on you as well Mm -hmm. and i did remember about gordon lightfoot and it was in relation to we were chatting about how listening many, many times to our own music and being difficult on ourselves. And mm-hmm. what it said in the article was he never listened to his recorded music after it was recorded. Mm. He would record it again, maybe, but he wouldn't listen. And it was because he would hear all of the mistakes or in his mind, the mistakes. So, so you and I are not alone in that. Yeah, yeah. Well, the good thing was that that during the time when I was recording, I was also uh, playing with the playing, uh, just jamming with a bunch of guys on the weekends, and it really helped me to hear what I was playing and what, and then helped me to hone what I wanted to get out of it. Um, I just had a better ear, I think. My ear had gotten much better from that playing with other people. So when I played it myself, I was able to. Uh, to just understand what I wanted to do and what I needed to do. So Jeff would say something to me in the studio and I would say like, okay, I I can do that. Now, do you have, or would you like to go back into the studio and bringing people with you to make it more of a band sound, not necessarily the same songs, but maybe one or two and then new ones, or is that of no interest? Oh, that's, that's of great interest to me. Yeah. Um, I, I did take a couple of songs from that from that uh, CD and brought in a, a drummer uh, and, a, and a bass player, and uh, we recorded them. But um, financially, I couldn't bring in a whole band to do things, and I wasn't ready to do the arrangement or wait much longer to uh, to, to get the rest recorded since I had a bunch of other stuff in the can already by the time that I started playing with these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it would have been really nice to do it that way. Um, and I 
because I think it's, I, I, I would like it better. Um, I, I think I would have liked it better if I had more instrumentation into it. But, um, but I was happy and am happy with the results that came out of that CD. Um, but again, I, I, I hear things. I mean, in one of my songs, I know that when I play it live, I say like, I hear strings here and it would have been nice to have strings and <laughs> guitars, uh, but, but I just, I just didn't have them. Now on your CD, what is your favorite song from the CD? <laughs> That's an unfair question, Todd. Yeah, well, because what it'll probably end up being, it, it, it may be that the same song on the CD that is your favorite is the one you have the most fun singing live. <laughs> or it could be completely different because, and the way I, I look at it is, I will ask people sometimes, at home, you've just come in from going to the store, coming home from work, whatever it is, mm -hmm. and your guitar is sitting over there, and you pick up the guitar, what is the first song that you play? Jeez, <laughs> it's so difficult. They're like for different reasons, you know. I mean, probably my my most favorite song on the CD is 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 probably um, "Save Me Too or Cold Shiver Point." All right. Well, I, I was gonna play "Save Me Too" at the end of the show, but just okay, so you can do that. That's fine. Uh, I, I, no, just, just I'm going to play just the beginning for people so they have a, a little tidbit of okay. what, what's going to be playing because it starts out really dramatically, and that's one of the things I like, and this is how it sounds. Not the biggest loser Not some folks say that's true I don't need an intervention To keep me away from you And that's the beginning to uh, Save Me Too, which <laughs> folks who are listening, you'll hear it in its entirety at the end of the show. The Now, speaking of that song, uh -huh. did you come up with the beginning? Is that the way you had normally always sang it? Or in the studio, did that like, oh, this is a cool way to do it? Um, it well, it, it, before I got to the studio, I came up with that that beginning, that slow kind of beginning that's that that the way that you just the way it's played on the cd um but it did not start out that way it just started out as the um the fast-paced guitar mm -hmm. well I, wanted, it, I just wanted something else it's it's very dramatic and what i like about it i mean this is just the minutiae part of me is you can actually hear your vocal in reverb not mm -hmm. a ton Whereas many times people will hear a song, you listen to a song, and you kind of know there's reverb in there, but it's you've got all you know, you get the guitar, you get the bass, and whatever. When it's just a vocal like that, um, with a, a strum, you can actually hear the reverb. And I think in that particular cut, that's just a perfect marriage of, of the way you start that song and the amount of reverb that Jeff put in on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's a um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's always one of my favorites. Now, it, the when you recorded the song, let's see, we've got four, 12, four, 14 songs on the CD. Did mm -hmm. you have more than that when you went in and you had to cut them down? Uh, yes. So what happened to the ones you didn't put on there? They didn't get on the CD. <laughs> 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 they, 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 end, they end up um, just waiting for the next next, you know? They... they uh, 
the whole idea behind it all at the end of of the CD was to come back with a, a second uh, a second CD shortly thereafter with with other songs um, because it kind of builds on the uh, not being able to see much in the middle middle and and what is next and the next has not come yet. Well, and there's the title of the CD. So on is what's on the CD, and so forth is moving forth, right? That's right, exactly. Now, why did you pick that particular song for the title of the CD? So on and so forth? Mm -hmm. um, that's an homage to my mother, who would, would say that particular uh, phrase, so on and so forth, uh, when, she, when she was speaking. And so I wanted to... Uh, it's kind of an homage to her um, just because uh, I, I wanted to, uh, to have that as, as her thing. The other thing that's, that I know that we've talked about the, um, this other song is Circus Scene, mm -hmm. which is uh, also about um, my, my mother loosely. Um, and again, it's about living life to its fullest extent. So kind of so on and so forth was like, you know, it kind of is what it is, but you got to keep moving forward and um, and find your path. And that's, you know, that goes with my philosophy on life and what kind of happened with my finding my my career path and uh, and music and and other creative endeavors. And circus scene, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly, didn't you win an award for that at the Mid Atlantic Song Contest? It got me uh, an honorable mention mm -hmm. uh, a number of years ago. Um, you know, one of the songs that I sent in and, uh, that, that was, uh, quite an honor and, and quite a surprise actually. Uh, it, it was, a it was a lot of fun. Well, since we're chatting about that song, why don't we let people listen to some of it or all of it? Are you up for that? Sure. I'm up for it. All right, here it comes. said life is like a circus I said one ring or three what do you mean she stared right at me I said is there way too much to see life is scary wild funny and free Life is different for you than it is for me You shut your eyes while I open mine to see and I eat the cotton candy and you say it's too sticky And that's what I mean You get scared looking out your window Seek advice from the TV I climb mountains in the winter You think I'm crazy, well that's just me Cause life is scary, wild, funny and free Life is different for you than it is for me You shut your eyes while I open mine to see and I eat the cotton candy and you say it's too sticky and that's what I mean 
That's what I mean And what you call a circus Is my reality You say let go of your pipe dreams I say let's just wait and see I'll pay the price to join this circus To drink up what life has for me I may not be long for this world But my soul's already free Cause life is scary, wild, funny and free Life is different for you than it is for me You shut your eyes while I open mine to see And I eat the cotton candy and you say it's too sticky And that's what I mean And that's what I mean And that's what I mean in this circus scene The circus scene The circus Ah, there you go. Circus scene by Tim Kirchner. You know, that's your philosophy of life. Yeah, well, yeah. And I, I try. Now, do you actually climb mountains in the winter? Well, I mean, I, I, um, I, I took up uh, running and distance running back in the, in the late 90s. And uh, that's what kind of that refers to. Like, you know, whenever it, whenever it snowed, I would you know, let's go out to the mountains. Let's go up to Sugarloaf Mountain uh, here in Maryland and, and do that. Now, was your speaking of running because you've you've told mm -hmm. me that many many times. Yeah. The was that did you decide to do that from a health standpoint? Was it just something that other people didn't necessarily? I mean, lots of people run, obviously, but not necessarily long distance and over <laughs> uneven terrain. So, was that something that you just you'd read about, or what got you started on the running? Um, it got me started in the running was as a, I, I, I lost a sister-in-law to, to breast cancer and saw that they were having that, uh, the 5k race then in DC that they had every year. And I'm like, I, I, I want to do this in, in, in memory of her. Oh. And I started to do that. And, you know, and part of it was too, to get, you know, uh, to get healthy, you know, I had little kids at home and I wanted to stick around. And so I didn't, wasn't really exercising. So I started to do that and, and, uh, got the bug really bad. <laughs> now, are you still running now? Um, I am, but not, not, uh, not nearly as much as I was. I haven't, haven't run any races in a, in a couple of years, but, uh, I run at home on the treadmill most of the time and sometimes out in the, in the woods when I need to, it was a good escape. I'm a, I'm a, I'm an extroverted person. I like to be around people and running, was kind of like that time when you could just be by yourself and i never thought that i would like it people always said like well you have to run with you know don't you run with music because you always have you know you're such a social person you want to have that going that helps you out like no i, I really don't i wanted to be alone and uh 
and that was uh, something I didn't think that I could actually enjoy. But it turns out that I did enjoy it, and, and it helped me to think and clear my head and, and come up with lyrics, actually. It's, it's called, I think, or I like to think of it as living in my own mind. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I never thought that I had to do that or wanted to do that. And then when I did do that, it was, uh, it's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Now, the, I want to ch- switch tracks here a little bit. Mm-hmm. I know that you play a Taylor guitar now. Mm-hmm. What was your first guitar? Uh, my first guitar was probably um, a, uh, an, a used, uh, like a, a used Yamaha, I think, mm-hmm. acoustic guitar, um, that I probably, I don't know if I got it from my sister or where I picked it up. But then I ended up, uh, uh, I played that for a while, and then I got a Bradley uh, electric Les Paul guitar. Bradley was a, it's a knockoff brand. I played that for a while. Um, and then I went back, and then I just really went to acoustic electrics from that point on. I, the, my guitar that I bought uh, that I really like to play a lot was a Seagull S6. Mm-hmm. Um, that is in, in need of a bit of a repair now, but the sound on that was much bassier and deeper than, than my Taylor. Um, and when I played the Taylor, that really seemed to suit me. Mm-hmm. I still have my eyes set at some point in my life on spending a ton of money and getting myself a nice Martin. So, You know, it's interesting. I read many, many guitar magazines. My favorites actually come out of Great Britain, United Kingdom. Mm. And unfortunately, the one that was a monthly was called Acoustic. Mm-hmm. And it's now defunct, like so many periodicals. They just couldn't uh, keep yeah. up with with digital online demand. Um, so, but the it's interesting that so many of the performers in the United Kingdom, whether it's Ireland or Scotland or England, they they talk about the the Loudons and and McIlroys, the ones that mm-hmm. are built over there, but they're and some of them talk about their tailors, but their holy grail is always running back to Martin. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, I, if, if you were going to get one, would it be a dreadnought shape or an OM shape, a smaller body? Do you have an idea? Or both? See, you know, I, I, I don't know. I've kind of been gravitating towards some of the smaller body ones. I've been a couple of artists that I've seen that play some smaller guitars. I'm like, well, that seems nice. But for, for me, it's it's got to be the sound that I... You know, I got the Seagull guitar because um, I don't know if you ever heard of John Gorka. Oh yes, John Gorka. Yeah, John Gorka played a Seagull guitar, and um, and I was like, well, that's what I want to get then, because I want to sound like John Gorka. And then, um, and then when I when I noticed that there were other sounds and other guitars, then I I went and played a, a ton of them before I came up on the the Taylor that I like so much, and it just when it has new strings on it, I mean, I I don't even need to do anything, but strum a couple of chords and I'm smiling. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, speaking of John Gorka, yeah. I may be wrong, but isn't he from the Philly area? I think he was at like Bethlehem or something oh, okay. like that, downtown area, yeah, yeah. something like that, yeah. And uh, Or New Jersey, maybe he's from New Jersey. I think well, he that, may be from New Jersey. Yeah. You, may be, you may be right, but yeah. of course Philly is right there. You can almost yeah, hit it with a baseball. Yeah, it just it doesn't exist on ninety five though. You know, you drive up ninety five and it just says like, you know, New York. It doesn't mm-hmm. never tells you you're getting near Philly. It just tells you how many miles it is to New York. It also doesn't tell you don't break down because if you do, we're gonna make you pay. 
That's true. That's true. Because you can't call just any towing service on the the New Jersey Turnpike. I've had a couple people with horror stories on that. That's why I go up 15 and go through Pennsylvania now to get to uh, to points north. But uh, there you go the back the back way. Now, was your seagull a cedar top or spruce top? Many of them were cedar, I think. Um, I think I think it's cedar. I don't know. I'd have to go check. The when I first got into music again uh-huh. after after. 11, 12, 13 years when I they had moved from New England down to the Frederick area. When I first got in and started doing the snafu with David Morreale, mm-hmm. it amazed me because I was starting to get knowledgeable or trying to on all different guitar brands and what was good, and I started buying and selling. It seemed like a large percentage of the performers who came through played a seagull. And you mm-hmm. don't see that many of them anymore, and I understand sort of why from talking to some of the, the retailers, but still a great guitar. And Pepe, I can never remember pronounce his last name, but he still plays a seagull guitar, and he's one of the top fingerstyle guys in the world. Yeah, yeah. I, I had to, I had, to, I had to really search to find the one I got. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually bought it down in Silver Spring, on at a guitar shop that was on the second floor of some building and it is now defunct, but, uh, that was the only place I could find a seagull guitar. It was bizarre to me, mm-hmm. but, uh, but that's, that's where I ended up finding it. If I'm not mistaken, they used a LR bags type of pickup system in their guitars. It looked like it was, it was, um, proprietary to, to seagull or the Godin mm-hmm. um, group. But I think it was LR bags. But I was amazed how often the seagulls sounded better than some of the Gibsons and the Martins amplified at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think it was really just a combination of the woods and the way the pickup reacted with the woods. But they had some great sounds. I think that's what attracted me to it in the first place. And um, and then uh, as I started to sing more, and you you know you. I, I don't know what it is. You, you, you get a guitar that, that complements your singing, I guess, is mm-hmm. what happens sometimes. Yep. Since, since I don't consider myself a great player, um, you know, like when I go back to before you were talking, you, you, we talked about guitars and, and, and singing and, and me playing um, uh, rhythm guitar. You, you said to me really early on, I think one of the first times that we met, I was concerned about my guitar playing because I don't, I didn't, I don't think I'm a great guitar player. And you said to me that um, great singing can overcome mediocre guitar playing, but mediocre singing cannot overcome great guitar playing. <laughs> you know, like, and I'm like, I'm like, you know, like that gave me some confidence thinking like, okay, well, I, I can mess up a chord here or there, but as long as I can carry a tune and, and give the emotion that I want to give to the song that I'm singing, whatever it might be. I can get by and, and and not be so tough on myself. So you gave me that confidence when, when I was first, you know, starting to play out. Wow. I had, um, I had no clue. Yeah. That really, that, that helped me out because I'm like, I don't want people to just judge me for my, for my um, crappy guitar playing. And, uh, and you were like, Hey, don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I won't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that was one of the things I did want to bring up was the sound of your voice. You don't have a typical, acoustic singer type of a voice and one of the reasons i wanted to play that first song the was the um the one up in the air is Mm -hmm. the sound of your voice 
and the lyrics and the melody, of course, carried the song because you've always had, there's a, you have a, you project extremely well. You've always had a voice that does that, which is wonderful from a sound person standpoint because mm-hmm. you don't have to, and you have good mic etiquette. You stay fairly close to the mic, but not <laughs> so close to it that all you get is, you know, mealy mouth. The, but it's, it's also got a slight little bit of gravel in there yep. on, on certain songs. And it's that distinctive sound. I call it a character voice. Some of my favorite singers have that character voice that no, I mean, Willie Nelson's another good example. Now his is partly the sound of his voice and also his timing is so before or after the beat, but, yep. and so his phrasing is kind of odd, but it made him famous. So, Hey, but you have a really unique wonderful i was listening to up in the air i had four songs set up on the mixer and i kept going back to that one because i kept picturing that as a song that i had heard from some of the icons of the folk slash acoustic world Mm. and yet it's my friend tim kirkner so congratulations (laughs) on that hey thanks thanks yeah i um yeah i have been told that i have a, a gravelly voice when i sing and uh I can use it to my advantage and, uh, and I guess, you know, for some songs it doesn't work at all. So I just don't write those songs <laughs> <laughs> and I try not to, I, I try not to play them out either. You know, like what if I'm playing covers, I'm like, well, there's only certain songs that are going to work for me. Um, you know, I just certain songs I just can't do. Well, that's very astute of you because as <laughs> running sound for and running open mics for many, many years, I was constantly amazed at how many people would sing a song and perform it just because they loved it, which nothing wrong with that, mm-hmm. but how ill-suited that song was to their voice. Yeah. And I, yes. And, and I'm sure that I've done that occasionally um, because I've loved a song so much, but um, I, I think that I've learned over time that I need to stick with what I do best <laughs> and, and, and not try to stretch it out. You know, I, I, um, when I was in, when, when I was in like, I think it was sixth grade. My, my, my chorus teacher had me singing the song, Ben. It's a Michael Jackson oh, yeah. song. I remember many ben. years sure. ago, but, but like, you know, it had all these high notes and I, I can't hit that anymore. And uh, so I don't sing Ben anymore. You know, so. you might get stoned off the stage if you do. <laughs> that's, that's right. But there's like other songs that, like, that I think that over the past like 10 years that I would be able to sing or sing on stage. And I'm like, I, I just don't want to do it anymore. I can't do that anymore. Well, one of the stages that you did sing on, and I don't know if it was the at the Our Community Cup Coffee House in in Pennsylvania, but you opened for Lucy Kaplansky, if I recall. Yeah, a long time ago, my uh, my ex sister in law had a music venue up in New Jersey where she would bring people in, and she gave me the opportunity to play and uh, open for Lucy, uh, which was really cool, um, considering the fact that I didn't have a, a ton of experience, and to open for somebody like Lucy Kaplansky was. Uh, <laughs> Uh, such a treat. Oh, and she's a fantastic singer-songwriter. Oh, my gosh. But, you know, knowing her music and the sound of her vocal, you were a nice pair because the the one problem with having someone open for you who sounds so much like you is mm-hmm. that it just doesn't quite work. You know, because the opener should never be technically better than the, the main performer. It does happen sometimes. Right. Especially when you get into an up and coming type of a band opening for a mainstay, you know, uh, group and the 
they, the mainstay group has lost some of their enthusiasm and the opening band is like, you know, but it, that was, that was a nice compliment between the two of you. Cause you have that nice upfront kind of slightly gravelly and she has that beautiful melodic. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. what a nice pairing that was. Yeah. I also had the opportunity a number of years later to do a, I did, a, I did a round, um, in Pennsylvania with, um, Tracy Grammer. Oh yeah. Uh, my gosh. Yeah. She, it was four of us. I think we played and that was a ton of fun too. That was probably more, um, that was probably more exciting for me than the Lucy Kaplansky thing because we were just, you know, sitting in a circle, um, with Lucy, it was like me before her. Mm-hmm. And with this, it was like us sitting around and, you know, she led the song circle and, uh, and each of us got a chance to play our songs. And that was a big thrill. Now, did she join in on everyone else's songs, um, instrumentally? Uh, she did not No, We all played our own stuff and we sang uh, a song together at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't remember what it was at this point in time, but, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a big highlight. So n- knowing we're, we're in the pandemic right at the moment mm-hmm. and live performing has been difficult, although outdoor performing <laughs> this past summer and the warm months leading up and after actually was fairly robust in certain wineries and farm breweries and places where there was a gazebo where people could sit far enough away and be far enough, have some social distancing. Mm-hmm. But once we get back to a normal situation where ven- indoor venues open up. What's your plans or what would you like to do? How often would you like to perform? Is performing not necessarily the forefront? It's more recording and writing more. What's your future look like? Well, you know, since, since the, um, lots of, lots has changed in the past couple of years. Um, and I've not played out so much. I did do a couple of Facebook shows early in the pandemic um, and because of not being able to play out places, I picked up another creative outlet. I've been doing some improv at the DC improv online. Um, so, um, but as far as playing out, I-, I love to play out. I would play anywhere. Somebody said, come play. Um, whether it be a farmer's market, a winery, uh, you know, somebody's backyard, I'll do it. Um, the band that I was associated with has gone their separate ways. So, um, I don't have a band to play with anymore, even though that was great fun. So if somebody came to me tomorrow and said, hey, we need a a singer, rhythm, guitar player to play in this band, I'd probably jump on it. Now, are you still actively playing at home? Do you keep your chops Mm -hmm. up? Yeah, no, yeah, I I do play uh, at home looking for for new things to play. And uh, I've been bugged by people to do another Facebook Live show. Um, So maybe that'll come uh, sooner rather than later. I, I was doing them and I, I don't know if you feel this way or not, but when you, when you play or when you play out and you invite people to come, it's kind of like, you know, I get a little tired of saying like, well, come see me. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so when I did the Facebook live thing, the first couple of times people would come and play and I would send out invitations and, and people would show up and, and that's all great, but I didn't want to do overkill and have them like, Oh, you got to go see Tim again, play, you know, right. next Wednesday. And now like it's, and people would tell me like, well, don't feel that way. I mean, like people, you have something to share with people, you should play. And I'm like, I don't know. And so now people are saying to me like, well, you know, we miss your playing and it's really helped out during the pandemic and we want you to play again. So I'll put together another hour and an hour and a half show and, and we'll do it. Now, how do you video that? Um, I just, I use an iPad and I just go Facebook live. Mm-hmm. 
and try to set up some nice lighting in the background so I I don't look so old and gray. And uh, <laughs> it seems to work out just fine. <laughs> now, do you have a, 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 do you just use the mic off the iPad or do you have a separate setup? Oh, no, I set up, um, I, I use, um, I, I use a microphone that I hook into a, a board and then my speakers. So I, I do it all like we wouldn't like, you know, like you, mm-hmm. we set up whenever you set us up. Now, do you find it somewhat odd playing looking at a iPad rather than looking at an audience? Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's a little no fun because I don't know how it's coming across. I don't, I, I, it's, I don't know if the sound is good. I don't know if I'm mumbling. I don't know if people are enjoying it. I don't know if people are just hanging on because they said they would. It's hard to, it's, it's hard to tell. It's much easier when somebody is there uh, smiling and singing along with your songs than it is when you're looking at absolute nothingness. But I mean, but I've gotten used to that a couple different ways, right? So, you know, I, I, I teach classes and I can't see my students because they're not required to put on their Zoom cameras. So mm-hmm. I teach to, to to blankness. I now sing to blankness. Um, <laughs> I've done I've done improv to blankness. So I mean, like, so, you know, it's 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 what I'm used to now. I don't know what I'll do when people come, you know, can see me again. <laughs> well, maybe there should maybe there's a theme there for a new CD of songs, <laughs> blankness. Yes. Well, you know, we we can collaborate on that. Yeah, we'll do ab- that. Absolutely. So, tell me about the improv. What got you into doing that? Well, you know, I needed a um, um, as an extroverted person, I was getting kind of um, bored, um, not being able to do anything and being stuck. And um, I had a nephew who had done some improv. And so I said, well, let's do some improv. And so I, I actually, I, I started improv before the pandemic, like right before I took an improv class in person and I liked it. Um, but, I, but then the pandemic came and I was like, well, I guess that's over. And then they started doing them online and I'm like, well, this, this could be a nice outlet. So I, um, I signed up for a second one and then I signed up for a third one and then I signed up for a fourth one and then it keeps going. Now, having never done improv myself or maybe just in a very minor sense um do you approach it from gosh i've got to open all the doors in my mind and just let stuff flow out how do you approach that it's it's like um it's like the creativity that you get when you write songs so much you know like i think that as far as for me if i overthink it it just doesn't work Mm -hmm. and so with improv, I kind of learned that it's okay. It's okay not to hit the mark. It's okay not to be funny all the time. Um, it's okay to in improv. It's okay to give the spotlight to somebody else to set them up. Um, and, and so it's kind of like the same with songwriting. Like I can write some throwaway lyrics that might change over time to what I really want it to be, but just being open to it. And and then again, it's like not being so hard on yourself when you're doing it it's, it's, it's a process. It can be fun and disastrous at the same time. Well, if I did it, it would be more on the disastrous side, but it might, it it would be fun. Now, do they give you a theme before you start or does someone just come out with something and you follow along as best you can? It, it, It depends on the style of improv. See, these are things I'm learning about, right? So there's other, there's different, you know, uh, schools of improv that you can do. So, you know, you can do a school of improv where somebody throws something out and you riff off of that, 
or you can just start with the a word um you know the word is uh joyful and then the first scene can start with joyful and joyful can be anything and then the next scene can be something that's you know totally different than what you started with so it, it's kind of open and lets you free your mind up and again it's it's one of those things i think i've learned over the course of the six months or, or whatever that i've been doing it pretty regularly now that you have to let it um you let it breathe just like you do with the art you know my my songs you, you got to let them take on a kind of life of their own and an emotion of their own and and that's what i had to get used to because you're you try to force too much like when you're songwriting you try to force things too much and if you do that i, I don't feel very confident in what's coming out of my guitar in my mouth at that point. Mm -hmm. I must admit the, one of the most fun evenings I've ever had was gosh, back in the 1990s, I was asked to judge the annual, I don't think they do it anymore. The annual comedy pigs award show where they <laughs> compete and mm -hmm. they had the core group and then they had the people who were working with them. And then they had other people kind of in the background, just so there were many people on stage and there were three judges, and I was one of them. And I think I probably should have drank about a gallon of water to compensate for the amount of tears that ran out of my eyes because I was laughing so hard. Some of the stuff they did was just, I'm thinking, how did they do this? Yeah, I, I've i learned a lot from uh, from my, the, the teacher in the workshops that I've done. And uh, it, it's been uh, really been a godsend during this, this time period to keep me... Uh, uh, as happy as you can possibly be in a time when you're not doing the things you love or well, with the people that you love. Well, I have an idea. Yeah. yeah. I used to do this occasionally when I would have people on stage with me. Because in the beginning, uh, when I started doing my own music, I didn't have enough songs for two hours or three hours. I only had about an hour's worth. And mm -hmm. I would invite someone else to come, and we'd throw songs back and forth, just kind of like a mini song circle thing. Yep. And every once in a while, I would turn to the person and say, we're going to make up a song, spur of the moment. I'll play the guitar and I'll come up with a line. You come up with a line and we'll see how far we get. <laughs> and some people are really good at it. Some people are not. And you do, you crash and burn sometimes and you start laughing because it's so bad, but that would be a fun thing to do. So maybe yeah. once we get back to normal life, you and I can get on stage and, and we'll do one of those shows where it's you and I we're trading songs back and forth and so forth. And then at some point we just, Choose a chord progression. Does that work for you vocally? Sure. And you just start playing it and see what comes out of it. See, that'll be a hoot. And then, and then I could teach you some improv and we can, uh, we can do a whole little improv. Uh, yeah. Oh, we could go on the road. Todd, this is it. Yep. We found it. We could have props, hats, glasses. I mean, the whole bit. <laughs> the Mr. Potato Nose, you know, we could do the whole thing. <laughs> I, like, I like your style of thinking, man. <laughs> well, you know, the, uh, I used to say this when we were doing the open mics and the Sunday song register, but more at the open mics because so many people an open mic is the largest stage they will ever perform at. Mm -hmm. So part of my goal was to make them sound as good as they could, which wasn't always easy. Um, cause I asked a friend one time who was a sound engineer. I said, you know, I'm having trouble with this. And he goes, Todd, good in, good out, bad in, bad out. You can't make somebody who's bad sound a whole lot better. <laughs> Oh gosh! You didn't tell that. You didn't tell the performer that, did you? Oh no, no, no. I, I, you know, because I want people to to come on stage and oh, yeah. 
feel like this is, you know, especially when they have family there. My gosh, you know, you have a 15 year old girl mm-hmm. or boy and their parents are out there with big smiles and you just want them and you say something nice about them and you try to find something in their performance mm-hmm. that is worthwhile or positive. Even having to say sometimes, you know, after a performance, which is just horrible and horrible mainly because the person was so nervous they couldn't get through the song. And they get down and they're very embarrassed and they're feeling lousy and just saying to the crowd, you know, it's very, very difficult to get up and perform in front of people when you're not used to it. And I applaud anyone who comes up here and kudos to you, Ben, or whatever your name is. And uh, no, go ahead. You just, you just reminded me of a story when you said 15 year old. One of my, uh, one of my performing experiences was I played at the, uh, the Haverford Folk Festival up in Pennsylvania on this, um, one of the stages up there. And the person that I had to follow was like a, a, a Billy Joel prodigy who was like 13 years old, who brought a whole bunch of people from his school there. So there was screaming teenage girls <laughs> on the lawn and uh, with this kid playing and his parents rah-rahing him on and the lawn was packed and he got finished playing and, you know, took his bows and whatever signed the, the, young teenage girl's arms or whatever. And then I got up there and everybody scattered. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) there was no one, there was no one left. So don't follow dogs or kids when you're playing. Well, and that was a problem with the open mic sometimes when somebody had all their buddies and then half of the room would leave. But that's happened to me before because my style, or like you said, they were there to see that person. Mm -hmm. And they, it happens at wineries sometimes when there are two performers back to back. Yep. And the yep. place will just be packed and you get up, the people before you say, thanks so much. We're going to hand it over to, you know, so-and-so and half of the crowd gets up and the cars are leaving and you're going, well, what about me? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. So that's what, you know, maybe that's what Zoom's good for, right? So nobody, you never know who's leaving. Yep. Right. That's... So if you're up there playing, you can't see them. You could be playing to no one and still be like, I'm killing it. Well, you know, I finally realized so many people on Zoom, I did a Zoom meeting yesterday is, and I just purchased this week, a new iMac computer. Mine was just so old. Mm -hmm. And most people use their laptop or their desktop with the camera, which is dead center, just above the screen. And I use my iPad like you do. Mm -hmm. And the camera is in the upper left-hand corner. Right. And I realized, well, I'm listening to this thing and I'm looking, I'm, I'm, I'm realizing I'm looking dead center into the screen. Everybody else thinks, where's he looking? (laughs) <laughs> because I'm never looking at them. <laughs> and that's that can be difficult. Pay attention. Yeah, pay, pay attention. attention. That's right. Oh, gosh. Well, Tim, this has been fantastic. Thanks so much yeah, for hello. chatting with me. I've had a Absolutely. good time. Me too. And I, I look forward to getting together with you or hearing you in person sometime in the near future. And I hope that near yeah. future is only months away. I really do. Yes, so do I. It's... uh it's, it's been rough. It has. And, I, you know, we didn't have the annual concert that Jeff Fight puts on this year because right, of, right. of COVID. And you and I have done that, I think, every year that he's done it. I think he's done it, what, three 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 times? Three times, yeah, yeah. Yep. And that is always a lot of fun. I would almost prefer that we do it a little bit earlier so it's a little bit warmer, more people might come out. But <laughs> that true. I know why he does it later because that first year, or was it the second year, where it was 104 degrees or something. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yes, that was hot. That. Somebody said to me towards the end of the show, they said, why is your face all red? I said, my face red? Well, I was hot. <laughs> it's called sunburn. <laughs> yeah. 
But thanks again. Oh, but yeah, before absolutely. we get done here, if someone mm -hmm. wants to purchase your music, how can they do it? Um, well, um, all they need really need to do, if they go to my website, timkirkner.com, mm -hmm. uh, they can just send me an email, and, uh, and I'm happy to uh, to send it out to them at this point. Um, I don't have any mechanism right now to uh, to sell it to them, but I'm happy to send them a copy. All right. And how much would they be sending you? Oh, they wouldn't send me anything. They would just email me. Oh, that's very nice of you. Yeah. See how see see how nice I am. Yeah. It's a it's a little COVID gift. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. I hope you have a great COVID day. Thank you, sir. And it's been wonderful to chat with you. And again, thank nice thanks so much. Um, your show. Um, when the people hear it, it's going to be, they'll be hearing it. But uh, from our perspective, it'll air in two weeks. I'm Great. trying to keep the shows two weeks ahead so that if something happens one week and I can't get a show produced, I at least have something in the backlog. So, but I'll, well, I'll send you a, a, well, you get my weekly emails, right? I do. Yeah. Okay. I will announce it then. So again, Tim Kirchner, Great. thank you so, so much. Thanks so much, Tom. All right. Bye-bye now. Well, that was Tim Kirchner, and what a fun interview that was. I, I don't even want to call it an interview. It's really not. It's a conversation. And I love the fact that he's doing improv. So much fun to sit, and especially when it's live and people can be on stage where they can react to the movements and things like that. It must be somewhat difficult doing it via Zoom. But anyway, let's finish up the show with... Um, his song, Save Me Too, that we played a little tidbit early on, and here it is. Not the biggest loser, not some folks say that's true. I don't need an intervention to keep me away from you.
think I'll sit back and watch You think I'll sit right back and stare I've got good intentions You know that much is true I can't leave you lonely Save me too Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by Todd C. Walker at the Wispy Mob Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All music on the podcast is played by permission from the artist. If you're enjoying the series, please feel free to share the link wispymopmusic.podbean.com and podbean is spelled P-O-D-B-E-A-N or you can find the show on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening.